Welcome to the 90s Kid Book Club Podcast, where we indulge in nostalgia, dust off our favorite books from growing up, and discuss how they shaped a generation. Hey, Amy. Hey, Monica. Thank you for even recording today, because I know that you are sick, and hopefully it's not the the big bad sick uh there's plenty of that the big going COVID. yeah there's plenty of that going around i've had to re-explain it to lily quite a few times lately like she understood when we were masked and we were all talking about it all the time but now yeah. it's kind of gone away from our consciousness but then like we know multiple people that have had it and so she's like wait how'd they get sick how do you who gave it to him and so I'm having to just explain (laughs) the whole thing over again so if you break it down to like that's why you cover your sneeze she's like oh okay okay like okay I get it (laughs) still doesn't quite get like vaccinations and what the shots do and how it helps and that's yeah (laughs) <laughs> well, and and honestly, like I feel pretty good. It started on Thursday with a sore throat. Blaine started on Tuesday though with a sore throat, mm-hmm. and instead of it getting better, it got worse. Yeah, that's never good. Um, and so I am terrified that with my sore throat, and then I started with body aches last Oof, night. I'm yeah. like. And I have so much to do at work, and I have so much to do around the house. But I started doing a lot of that earlier today because I'm like while I feel able to move right I I should because I'm almost guaranteed in like three days I won't be moving so or it'll just be better tomorrow and it was a weird 24 hour yeah thing yeah you never know yeah let's hope for that let's just hope for that (laughs) yeah and uh (laughs) and Blaine will just you know have suffered alone Mm -hmm. and that's just the way Well, um, I realized there's been a lot of 90s news happening recently that I've failed to update you on. So I want to go back to our 90s news segment and talk first and most importantly about the fact that I had a dream recently with Jennifer Love Hewitt. (laughs) Ooh! Of course Jennifer Love Hewitt. That's a good one. Why? Why, Why? though? I I mean, she hasn't been in anything recent that I know of. As far as I know, she hasn't been, like, yeah, in my, like, awareness recently. I don't know why Jennifer Love Hewitt, but I've always loved her. She's, like, America's sweetheart. Um, But in my dream, we were close friends, but, like, recent friends. Like, we went to high school together, and we weren't close in high school, and then we kind of reconnected later in life. And I even knew in the dream that that didn't make any damn sense. Like, I felt my mom (laughs) trying to, like, process. Wait, I don't remember her being in movies while we were in school together. Like, was she famous by then? And me trying to make sense of, like, how did I know her but not know she was famous? And then now we're friends. So my brain was still like, this doesn't even make sense, but we're going to go with it. And so we were close, but like didn't talk about her movies or anything. And then I finally said, wait, you were in Can't Hardly Wait, right? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I remember that one. And in reality, it's like one of my favorite movies. I have such a soft spot for 90s rom-com, like that girl gets the guy Yes, like, um, what is that other one? Like, She's All That. Yeah. 
And yeah, those were big in the 90s. I liked those too. My though. favorite was um, the one with the other three name person, not Sarah Michelle Gellar, not Jennifer Love Hewitt. Melissa Joan Hart. The one with Melissa Joan Hart. <laughs> the that other was... three named one. <laughs> <laughs> Those were all good. America's sweethearts all at the same time. Three names. I've often thought oh, if totally. I ever got famous, even though I'm not trying and have no skills, I would yeah. go by three names. I would be my first and middle name. Ah! I always hated my like birth middle name. Why? So when I got married, I dropped it. Yeah. Why? Did I you... mean, I can say it. It was it was Amy Elizabeth, and it just sounds so I like regal. It. I like it, it sounds so. But regal. you're. I mean, you're you're British, right? Your grandmother was yes. British, so yeah. that's. Mm-hmm. It sounds mm-hmm. very British to me. I mean, it. Yeah, it sounds really like flamingly white. Yeah. So true. I. <laughs> true. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah. So when I got married, it was the first thing I dropped. Mm-hmm. I was like, mm, nope, don't want it. I kept mine. Me. I always loved mine. And I still, my family, me and my mom talked about it recently, how nicknames stick with you. My family had a million nicknames for me because my name is Monica Kelly. And so they'd call me uh-huh. Monica K, Monica Kelly, Monica Joe, Mo, like a mil- oh, I remember Monty. Mo. I remember Monty. Mm-hmm. So lots and lots of nicknames. And uh, recently when I was around family for my dad's passing and funeral and all that, I realized how many nicknames I have. And it's it's kind of comforting to hear like no one in my current life really calls me by any of that. Yeah. So it's like a nice family thing that they still call me that stuff. Um, but, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Lily will call me Monica. And I know some people have a problem with that, but I like yeah. it. I, I don't you know do? why. I like her calling me by my actual name. And I want her to know what my name is. Like, there are plenty of kids yes. that just, like, don't even know what their parents' when names are till to. they're, it's like, 10. So, yeah. Like, if so she important. were to get like, what lost. emergency. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like, what's your mom's name? Mm-hmm. Mom. Well, that's not helpful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my mom always hated it if I called her by her first name. But, like, I remember when I got to high school, everybody was calling, at least everybody really? I hung out with, they were calling their parents by their first names. Oh. But I, my mom was like, absolutely not. She would hear my friends talking about yeah. their own parents by their first name, and she was like, no. She was so against it. Yeah. Um, no, I grew up in the South. You don't do that. I don't know anyone mm-mm. who called their parents by their first name. No. No, absolutely no. not. But I, I don't mind. I think it's cute. Yeah. um we went to so we just got back from california we went to universal studios and disney yay we went to disney this the next day even though we were so tired and like sore and could barely get out of bed josh was like so we're here we might as well just do disney too right i was like okay have you ever been to Disneyland? Never. Like to land. No, I've been to that's, Disney World, you know, but not Disney We're land. we're over on the Disney World yeah. side of the country. Yeah. Um I've never been to Disneyland either, but it's it was awesome. like I imagine it it's awesome. super magical. Yeah. It um is. but while we were there, I was like I last time we went to a theme park, I got a little air tag bracelet for lily so that i could track her and i didn't even think to bring it was like a cute little rainbow like it just looked like a regular bracelet but i didn't even think to bring it on this trip like i knew we were going to universal but i didn't think to bring it 
so I was paranoid right before we left the house. Like, what if she gets lost? And I didn't want to talk about it too much that I was like freaking her out because she does kind of like pick up on my anxieties. Yeah. But um, I was like, I'm just going to write my phone number on a piece of paper and like put it in your pocket or something. She was like, no. And I was like, well, then I'm going to write it on your arm. She was like, you're not writing it on my arm. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, I don't know what to do to keep you safe, but I was like, at least she knows my name, Josh's name. And the parks are really good about stuff like that. Like if she got lost in Disney, I feel like she'd be in one of the better places to get lost. Like all those families and all the security and everything. The last time that we went, we went with uh, my brother-in-law, sister-in-law and their kids. And there was this one kid that was kind of like walking around being like, mommy. And everyone turned. It was like all the parents were like, okay, what's going on with this kid? Who's he calling for? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like me and my sister-in-law couldn't. Where's the parent without a child? (laughs) Me and my sister-in-law were like hawk-eyed on this kid. And then it walked up to a a parent and we were like, whew, okay. Like we were going to have to intervene in that situation. So that's why I'm like, I think she'd be in one of the better places if she got lost. But she didn't get lost. And it was amazing. And we had lots of fun. Great. Yeah. Um, But whenever anyone asks her what was her favorite part of California, she says the park with the sand, which is Uh a park. Uh, We went to the Santa Monica Beach and Pier. And there was a park on the beach, like in the sand on the beach. Oh, so cool. So there were swings and there was monkey bars. It was like a playground on the beach. Yeah, on the beach where she took her shoes off and was running around in the sand. And that was what stuck with her. Like we went to Disneyland, not Universal. (laughs) (laughs) The park with the beach (laughs) or with the sand. (laughs) (laughs) Super cute. Super cute. Um, well, tell us what else you saw at Disneyland. I, by the way, before we get back into it, I almost made a uh, Instagram post or a TikTok post that was like, when your best friend goes to Disneyland without you. Oh. <laughs> like, I was sitting there and I knew you guys were going because yeah. we were texting back and forth. And I was just like, man, I've never been to Disneyland. That yeah. would be awesome. Awesome. It would and to it go like been awesome with either. with a kid who you yeah know, super... you see it through their eyes yeah yes. for sure yeah and surprisingly because uh, my husband Josh just had back surgery a couple months ago he had a spinal mm-hmm. fusion mm-hmm. surprisingly Disney's really good about being inclusive and making sure that all their rides are like experiences versus like Ooh. throwing you around herky jerky like Six Flag style so. Lily was able to do mostly everything, and Josh was able to do everything. Awesome. So a four-year-old and a recent patient from a surgery were able to hop on all the rides. So, yeah, I was surprised at how much we were able to do there. Wow. Wow. Well, and I know before he had the back surgery, you guys had gone to Disney World. Yeah. And that was when he realized, like, I need the he was in so much pain. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, definitely so it's awesome experience. that you got Disneyland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally unexpected. We didn't plan it. But we were like, we're here. We might as well. Um, but yeah, so what I, <clears throat> what I saw there, and I've since done some research on it, because I was like, am I like making this fit into my worldview right now? Like, is this not what I think it is? But we were walking around late at night and stumbled upon what looked like the Halloween tree. It is. And it is. 
So apparently the author of The Halloween Tree, which is our book for this week, published in 1972, Ray Bradbury went to the like unveiling or opening of the tree there in Disneyland. I don't know where he's from or if that was convenient for him, but I mean, you would go. He's from Illinois. Oh, okay. He's from Illinois originally, but he was a huge Disney fan. Oh, cool. And he met Walt Disney. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. But it was... Because I was confused too. I was like, the Halloween tree is not even Disney. No. Like, they did do a movie of it, but it was, it came out and aired on Cartoon Network. Yeah, it was Hannah So I was like, so confused by that. Me too. That's why I was like, am I making this fit because I, I was reading nope, it's the real. Halloween tree currently. I looked like, it up am too. I making this fit into my world or is that really it? And it had a little plaque that was like I was going to say there's tree. supposed to be a plaque. Yeah. 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 So we figured it out. We came by. It was like the sun was setting and then we came by later and it was all black and lit up and beautiful. I loved it. Um, on that uh, similar note, I guess uh, we also haven't talked about, and it's been on my notes to bring up to you multiple weeks in a row, is the Goosebumps TV series that's yes. now out on Netflix yes. and, yes. and stars well, Justin Long. Is it on Netflix or Disney? I don't know. Or Hulu? I, it's not Hulu. I thought it was Hulu, Disney. R.L. Stein has a new show called Zombie Town, or movie. Hmm? Movie called Zombie Town on Hulu. Yeah. So that no, one is exclusive to Hulu, has Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd, and then the Goosebumps TV, wherever it is, people will find it. But it stars Justin we'll Long, out. who I love. I trust you. And oh, he makes yes. the weirdest Wasn't career decisions. Wasn't he in Jeepers Creeper? Yes. Jeepers Creepers? And yeah, he was yeah, in yeah, that yeah. one where he got turned into a walrus. It was like Tusk or something like that. Like body horror. Yeah. Oh, no, I do remember that. Yeah, it was You know how I'm bad about movie titles. I know. Yes, I do remember that. I do remember that. Yeah, so he makes some very odd choices. Oh, he was also in that one um, Barbarian recently. Yes. Yes, we watched. (laughs) He really got me in that one. Like, it was a horrifying, suspenseful movie, but he has a couple scenes that I was like, cracking up laughing in the movie theater (laughs) like he is he's good so i want to check that one out i want to check out the new rl stein and then just like yesterday i became aware of a pet cemetery prequel did you know about this watched it okay what do you think um so we i remember we ended it and we both said it was decent Mm, that's not so I mean, it takes place, it covers, so if you're familiar with the original Pet Cemetery, you have, um, I think, I forget what his name is, something Judd, maybe his name's Judd, I can't remember, but it's the old man who's across the street from the family in Pet Cemetery, from yeah. the main family. Uh-huh. So the old man that's across the street that has the amazing accent, he like makes that whole movie. The prequel is covering his story. And so it oh. covers it covers kind of how they found out about the pet cemetery. Yeah, because um, he stuck around. Like if I knew that that mm, was a thing, mm. I don't think I would stick around there very no long. No way. No way. And that story was absolutely terrifying. I know at some point we're going to cover Stephen King something we have to. on the pod. Yeah. I, I know we're going to. He had tons of movies that were released in the 90s and like late 80s. Um, so anyways, I know we will do that, 
but um, Pet Cemetery was a terrifying book. I read that one way too young. Yeah, sixth I grade. remember you saying that. Yeah, sixth I've grade, never read it, but I I don't I don't love um, I almost just called him Arl Stein. I don't <laughs> love Stephen King's Stephen King's writing style. He yeah. feels very detached to me, and he writes very masculine, if that makes any sense. Like, reading oh. it as a woman, he just, I don't know. It, it's it's I guess lacking one benefit something. is you don't pick that up in sixth grade. So yeah. I guess that was one benefit I had. <laughs> Do you ever just read a book and be like, I can tell this was written by a man? No. Oh, I, I absolutely. really look at it that I way. absolutely I can. always try and just, like, sub, like... I guess the word is submerge myself mm -hmm. into the book. Like I just try and make it into its own world. And we'll talk about that a little bit with Halloween tree mm -hmm. that I had to do the same. Like I had to do something similar of like just submerge myself in the book. Yeah. Um, because the writing was almost distracting. Yeah, absolutely. Parts. Absolutely. <laughs> and I had to reread pages like not full pages, but like I'd have to go, I'd read a paragraph and I'd be like, what the hell did I just read? <laughs> and go back through and be like, oh, okay, yeah. okay. Or I'd like, like space out and hit another paragraph and be like, wait, right. wait, what where the I fucking just, time yeah. are we? Exactly. And the, yeah. So um, Ray Bradbury has a very specific writing style and apparently he was heavily influenced by poetry and he lists mm -hmm. some of his mm -hmm. big influences as being Edgar Allan Poe, Jules Verne, H.G. Wells. So sci-fi horror with a mm -hmm. lean towards poetry. So his writing generally has like this cadence of poetry, even though it's not. And I didn't love it. Had a really hard time getting into the writing style. Um as I said, this was published in 1972, so if we set the stage of kind of where we're at before we hop into what the book's about, mm -hmm. in 1972, um, the history of trick-or-treating in the U.S. is that obviously we, as Americans, immigrated over, brought over some traditions, um, those coming from Europe thousands of years ago celebrated a very similar tradition to Halloween and trick-or-treating. So the point was to honor souls of the recently deceased and fend off, fend off ghosts with not great intentions. Um, so that kind of resurfaced with a lot of European immigrants in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And we're talking pre-Satanic panic, kids are running free in the streets, smashing pumpkins, not checking their candy. There's no trunk or treats. Um, and apparently it not wasn't even... checking their candy. <laughs> yeah. This is like... Kids run free, These no parental supervision. wild freaking children. <laughs> Look at them eating razor blades. Yeah. And homemade costumes with like horrible masks that I'm sure people could Oh, they were in. scary. Ugh. They were scary. Do you, do you Did you ever see pictures of like the original Halloween costumes yeah i just posted some to yeah. our instagram you did yeah. you did yeah because they are they're horrifying and i'm they're like terrifying. they're they must have been itchy and hot and 
can't breathe in those masks. But so th that's kind of where we're we're coming from. And um, apparently trick real trick or treating as we know it really wasn't even popularized until the 1930s. So in the 1920s, before true trick or treating, um, Halloween was more about pulling pranks. And so young adults would go around pulling pranks on people, vandalizing things, and it truly got out of hand, which is why they kind of institutionalized this common occurrence of like knocking on a neighbor's door and getting candy. So the neighborhoods <laughs> got in on it, like we need to pull these teens and young adults in. And um, that kind of started. Somebody and, reel these children in. Yeah, we need to give them <laughs> they, something. They're breaking to do. our windows every year. <laughs> so apparently, well, that, I remember like TPing. You yeah. remember like toilet paper TPing somebody's like house or car or egging or a house, trees, egging a house. Oh yeah, for My sure. My house got egged. Sure. Oh no. Yeah, I I. Uh, I wasn't very good to a few of my friends in high school. I like kind of cut them off at a certain point. I I, I did all. Kinds I wasn't of a very yeah. School, I wasn't so. a very good friend <laughs> in high school at all. I don't know how I managed to have Same. one friend that I still keep in touch. That's with why in high we. School. That's why we met after high school. Yeah, <laughs> I had to learn. When we were like, we're friend. gonna be good friends. Yeah, let's practice. Let's <laughs> <laughs> practice on each other. Um, pass. You did. A, you passed. Yeah, you okay, good. good. Okay, you Different do. kind of pass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I kind of cut these friends off, and uh, they egged my house. They egged my car and my house. It wasn't many. It was like they bought because like a half you dozen. you cut them off, though? Yeah. I mean, you know it was high school. I know it was pretty then. immature. I know it had to have it's been. pretty immature. It was like no one else's house got egged, and it was around the time I cut them. I just know it was them. Um, but my high school has a, you, you probably saw it, uh, for homecoming, but my high school has a tradition of the seniors teeping the entire school. Did you see that oh, recently? No. It was, mm -mm. Uh, but I also like the school don't year. leave my house often. I don't so. know how you didn't, you know what? I saw it on the way to your house once to record an episode. Oh, really? So, yeah. And my mom had actually just sent me a picture of it saying, well you like, need to hey, start again. sending me the picture okay. so i can go over there and, and be like yes it. i confirm it i don't happened. know how you didn't see this because <laughs> it's everywhere it's like they don't just do a few trees it's it goes they go hand i'm gonna have to ask blaine if he's seen it he, ha he he's had had to, to. yeah yeah and he's had i know the year that my class did it i wasn't friends with the kids in my class i was friends with older kids and younger kids but i didn't really like mm -hmm. the kids in my class very much i didn't connect with them or anything um so that whole group of seniors that went and did it got caught on the cameras but i don't know how they're how are kids still doing it then i don't know if they've i don't know i don't know how they're getting away with it they've I learned from know. us i guess <laughs> well i do know that some pranks like end up on the news and stuff like that. Yeah. So some have been toned down. I know our high school did at least the high school I went to in New Hampshire. The high school I went to in Turkey, no, no way. They were all like sheltered kids. Sorry, but truth. Like they would have never broken a rule. Ever. But it was uh military families, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. And like and international, but like a like a I don't want to say elite, but that's how they acted. Like you know, pompous rich. Um Expats. But it was considered a public school. 
So anyways, in New Hampshire, they did condiment. I think they called it the condiment crisis. It made the news and Hmm. it was, uh, they ended up putting condiments all over the cars in the parking lot. Like anything you could get out of your fridge. So like cold cuts, (laughs) mustard, pickles, anything you could get. And it went everywhere. I was not at school that day. I did not participate. I did not get my car impacted. None none of that. So, um, but yeah, they were... Shout out to them. They were pretty badass for that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, My high school, my high school was pretty off the wall. Like nothing was normal there. Everything was bizarro extreme. And that even went for the pranks and uh, hazing was a thing. So in high school, I mean, I know it's a thing in college here. I don't remember hearing much about that in New England because, like, fraternities and sororities aren't really a thing. I definitely know that's a thing down here. Yeah. And hazing to get into fraternity is a thing. Yeah. But yeah. Um, high school. You know, like, high school seniors. Allegedly a thing. <laughs> <laughs> high school seniors would, and we had a lot of family, so it was like the siblings of seniors, if they had. S- if they had siblings coming up into high school, so like coming into ninth grade. That would have been me and my sister. She would have been leaving and yeah. I would have been coming in. So it was a lot of that. you telling me my sister would have hazed me? Yeah. They put, um, they, similarly, they just put like condiments all over them and like then hosed them down and sent them home. Yeah. It's kind of all that happened. But hosed um, them they, like, down? They, yeah, they like. Oh my yeah. god! That's uh, that's Georgia in the two thousands. We that's still act like it's hilarious. decades earlier because things take a lot longer to progress here. <laughs> oh gosh. Okay, moving uh, on. Moving on. Anyways, it put, it gives a little bit of our perspective though, and from where you know where we came from. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, this book, um, The Halloween Tree, I know I hadn't read it, but I had read, um, I had read Fahrenheit 451 was his other big one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That mm-hmm. I had read, and I read that around the same time that I read The Giver, and I think they both had these themes about, like, the role of authority and power, and also the role that knowledge can have in that power mm-hmm. dynamic and kind of questioning authority and questioning reality. And so they kind of hit all at the same time where that was really what I was going through as like a preteen anyways. So Fahrenheit 451 really stuck with me and I remember liking it. So I'm really confused now that I'm reading The Halloween Tree how bizarro the writing style seems. And I want to revisit Fahrenheit 451 and see was it similar because I don't remember that, but it was a very long time ago. Um, but apparently that is his writing style, and it probably feels very similar. Like, very heavy, vivid imagery and alliteration. And sing-song poetry. Yeah. Like, he had, at least in the Halloween tree, I don't know if Fahrenheit 451 is the same way, but in the Halloween tree there are, like, excerpts of songs yeah 
Um, I don't know what the tunes are, right. but, <laughs> yeah. but there's definitely songs. Um, yes, the writing style, <laughs> I said to Monica when I had gotten through the first, I believe I was through 45 to 50 pages at that point. So I still had 100 pages left to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said to you that it was the longest 150 yeah. pages that I've ever read. And yeah. I still stand by that. There were a lot of paragraphs I had to reread. There were lots of... Um, I thought I mean, Animorphs was bad, but this was harder to get Animorphs through. was was bad for me. <laughs> <laughs> was bad. You're like, don't negate that experience. I was this can about be that bad the other too. day. My, I was thinking about animals the other day in my kitchen. I think I was doing dishes or something, and I just thought, man, we did animals fans no justice. And I'm sorry, you guys. I tried so hard. I did. I mean, a for effort. I yeah, give myself, exactly. but <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's people who feel otherwise. Anyways, uh, back to the Halloween tree. Well, definitely. We we are not experts. We're not scholars. We're just two kids talking about books we grew up with. And I'm sick. So come on. Come on. Cut me some slack. Now I just want pity. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But yeah, the writing is hard. Now, I will say what helped me was, and I don't want to talk too much about the movie but the movie is narrated by ray bradbury yeah so i remember the narration of the movie Mm -hmm. and it carries the movie that was also something that back in the day they used to do a lot is they do movies that have legit narrators that are telling the story throughout the whole movie they Mm -hmm. don't really do that a lot anymore but um so when i started to read the book i started to read it in his narration voice okay. and it helped me get through it so yeah, much I bet. there were periods though that I would put it down you know and then I would pick it back up and then I'd have to remind myself again to get into mm-hmm, that mindset mm-hmm. you know so it'd be like two pages of struggle and then I'd be like oh, okay all right back I got this it. we're going yeah. yeah yeah it's one of those you kind of just need to push through and I I hadn't I've never still to this day I've never seen the movie so I didn't really have that frame of reference or context we'll get there patreon <laughs> and it's very weird to me that this book contains all the things that I was obsessed with as a kid and still didn't like scratch any itches for me. Like it just didn't do it. It just didn't do it for me. Apparently it was originally written as a screenplay. So in 1967, he wrote it as a screenplay and then later adapted it oh, to wow. a book in 1972. And then it wasn't until 1993 that the Hanna-Barbera cartoon came out. And apparently yeah. that still runs on some channels cartoon network around the uh, halloween holiday yep um he also added in 2005 there was this limited edition of the novel that had an author's preferred text and it compiled and edited the 1967 and 1992 screenplays together so it was kind of like the original adaptation and then the the (sighs) later I would be interested to see that. And he preferred that over just the original. So I think it, uh, that being said, I think it was kind of, it was originally seen as a screenplay. I think it was kind of meant to be a visual medium. And I think maybe that's part of the disconnect is we're reading a screenplay as if it's a novel. 
Right. Sometimes that works and can be adapted well. I don't think in this case that it really kind of translated well enough for me. And you said you had never read it prior to no. this? Mm-mm. Okay. 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 I'd never even heard of it until you mentioned it. I had Fahrenheit oh, I 451 on our list, but I'd yeah. never even heard of this one. Oh, so um, for me, I definitely saw the cartoon as a kid. The movie is a cartoon. Um, I definitely saw that as a kid. Again, loved spooky stuff. So I carried this through all of childhood. Um, I knew it was a book. I owned the book as a kid. I honestly don't know if this is one of those books that just like sat on my shelf and I was just proud to own it because I was obsessed (laughs) with the cartoon or if I actually tried to read it at some point because Mm. I imagine as a kid, there's no way, there's just no way I would have got through the book by myself. Apparently it's a fourth grade reading level, but... I think the confusion of it skipping around timelines mm-hmm. and not properly explaining mm-hmm. what was going on would be very confusing for a kid. You kind of have to just like strap in and <laughs> go along yeah. with it. You're like, oh, well, we're I here did. now. <laughs> I did try to think back what I could remember about mm-hmm. the Halloween tree. Um, and I, of course, I've seen the cartoon a lot since then, too, at Pretty much any time I think of it during Halloween, I will watch it. So I think the last... I don't think I watched it last year, but I watched it the year prior to that. Um, But the only things I could remember were... um, I could remember some of the characters, but I couldn't remember what had happened to Pipkin. So to give a little background of the summary of the story... The book has eight kids. Eight kids are all dressed in different costumes. The different costumes are you have a skeleton, you have a beggar, you have a beggar. By the Ugh. way, I thought that was a weird costume. I specifically called Some that like out. That, that Yes. Yes. In the, the pictures, in the pictures that I've seen of like the original drawings and stuff, mm-hmm. it looked like a traditional hobo with like a checker. So that dates this. Yeah. Yeah. Not, <laughs> not PC. Uh, um anyway skeleton beggar mummy gargoyle ghost ape man mr death and a witch Mm -hmm. and they're all boys yeah all boys um so anyways they have a friend pipkin and they're trying to go out on halloween pipkin always joins them pipkin is described as like the greatest kid in the world that everybody loves and they can't find pipkin they end up I don't know how to describe this, but they end up going to this old creepy house that's in their neighborhood, and they meet Mr. Moundstroud. Is that how you pronounce it? Moundstroud. Moundstroud. And Mr. Moundstroud, I'm just going to call him Death. At the end of the book, you find out he's Death. Yes. Um, So anyways, they meet Death. Death introduce them, introduces them to the Halloween tree. The Halloween tree is a tree that has a bunch of pumpkins in it. Each pumpkin is supposed to symbolize a soul within the town. So it's like each person within the town has a pumpkin up there that symbolizes their soul. Death ends up taking them through uh, four different periods of time. Ancient Something Egypt, like ancient Ancient Greece, ancient Rome, Celtic Druidism, Notre Dame, and Day of the Dead. And they even like touch on cavemen. 
Yes, what they do. What period is that? Yeah, whatever period of time that was. Yeah. Um. So anyways, they go back through all these periods of time, but while they're going through these periods of time, they have their friend Pipkin, who they're finding in all these periods of time, um, and they're trying to basically chase him. Mm-hmm. So they're chasing their friend Pipkin through all these periods of time. And throughout the story, their their friends are want, the friends are wondering if Pipkin is alive or is he dead? Yeah. So they know something's wrong. Then later in the book, you find out that Pipkin was actually in the hospital. And uh, apparently the movie, apparently the movie and the book kind of deviate there in that in the movie, I think they watch him being wheeled into an ambulance and the parents tell the friends that he's sick. Yeah. It was like appendicitis or something. Um, Well, in the book, it's appendicitis. And in the book, I think they go to his house and he's saying, I don't feel well, go without me. Yes. And then you yes, find out at the very yeah. end that it was appendicitis. And the around the time that they were having all these adventures was the time that he was getting his appendix taken out. So it seems as though he was kind of in this weird space between life and death. Mm-hmm. And they were all these experiences maybe were some sort of reality of him being kind of trapped in between and they're trying to save him and bring him back to the land of the living but in the end how they save him is that they each have to give one year of their own lives in order to which save which i thought Pipkins. was interesting i thought that was so weird because i was sitting there and i was like all right there's eight boys each one though i mean i got goosebumps in certain parts of the book and that was one of them because it was just like oh i would totally do that i know like i mean like in one a year like, is yes. nothing of course one I'd year is that. nothing but I was so confused because it was like, okay, he got eight years. So either well, I eight years he got, he, is enough to give him the rest of his lifetime or no, I think he got eight the years. Price, you know? The price for the rest of his life was just eight years. So it was for his lifetime. Yeah. So I think they it was, paid eight years for his lifetime. Yeah, they paid yeah. eight years for him to go down the timeline of he does survive the surgery and what would mm-hmm. that life have been like versus he doesn't survive the surgery and i think each of them just had to pay a penance for that reality to come to fruition mm-hmm. not that they were like one for one giving him a year but well, yeah like i was saying though i did not remember before reading the book what had happened to pipkin right mm-hmm. so the whole time i'm reading this book this go around as an adult i'm like oh yeah i know like i don't remember what happens to pipkin he's probably gonna die at the end of this book like, that's what I remembered. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, he's going to die in the book. And I remembered not anything of what it was, but I guess I'm used to drama and trauma at this point. I think modern day America is at this point. So in my head, I was imagining something so much bigger. And then when I got to the page where it said appendicitis. it was appendicitis, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? That's yeah. it? That's it? Like, in my head, I'm like, cancer, you know, like something bad, like something really, you know, heavy for a child to have. And then they're just appendicitis. It's like, okay. Which, I don't know if that was more dangerous in the 60s and 70s. Like, maybe that was more life-threatening than our context of it now. Well, and I was going to say, I did know, I was like, okay, it is life-threatening. Yeah, it is. (laughs) It's just, I guess, I'm so used to 
dramatization that I'm just like, my mind goes to the worst. I don't yeah. know. Well, and I'm sure I'm not the only one. The writing style <laughs> doesn't give you much context about like how the boys were feeling about it and how scary it was for them. It was just them going on this adventure. And in each culture, so each stop off in history, they learn about the origins of Halloween, basically. So what we're celebrating, why we're celebrating it, the role that fear, death, ghosts, and hauntings play in shaping our civilization, shaping humanity. It's like each costume ties to a piece in time that they go to. Yeah. So the book is meant to argue that there's more to the holiday than just candy. And I guess he was inspired. Ray Bradbury was inspired to write this because he, after turning out all the lights on Halloween, had run out of candy. He had a trick-or-treater come to his house. And he said, I don't have any candy, so I guess it's just a trick. And the kid looked at him so confused, like, what are you talking about? And he was like, kids don't even really know what we're doing or why we're doing any of this, which I'm kind of fine with. Like, the the whole point of the book is to educate kids in a fun way about the history of Halloween. But I would argue that it's not really necessary to enjoy the holiday and his kind of curmudgeon spirit of, like, they don't even understand why they're going door to door and getting candy. It's like... <laughs> Who cares? They're kids. They want to dress up and go get candy. You know, I was, um, yeah, I don't know. I just had feelings about it. So I did feel, I do have noted that I felt like he he was writing all of this with an agenda yes. at some point is how I noted it. Yeah. It's kind of like he you could tell it was either his perspective mm -hmm. or the perspective of whatever he made up in this world. Um, in the world of the Halloween tree. Yeah. Um, but I definitely one uh, area that I really was annoyed with was his concept of witches. Mm -hmm. So we've covered thoroughly that I love witches. He mentions that witches stem from wit. So people that were intelligent, yeah. people that were... But what he says that I did not like mm -hmm. was he said that witches would take credit for things that happened in throughout the village. So like if something happened, like someone died, a witch would take credit for it. He was almost saying that these people... But he, he did say very clearly in the book that they did not do those things. They were lying, trying to take credit for these things that hmm. they did not do. He was taking the magic out of witchcraft altogether yeah. but the thing that really bugs me about it you know take magic out of it that's fine you know whatever you can believe whatever you want but the thing that really bugs me about it is that that idea that people were taking credit for these things because they weren't in my mind of 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 like the history of witches people were not coming out saying like bragging oh I killed old man Tom. Right. Like, no, that's not what they were saying. If they did say that, they were going to get stoned to death. Mm -hmm. So it was like completely, yeah. Down. So it was, yeah. or, or, you know, yeah, any of that set on fire, whatever. Um, so yeah, definitely it was not people coming out just being like, yeah, I did that. No, if they were admitting to anything, it was because they were being tortured. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, yeah. so yeah, I did not appreciate that. Didn't like that. 
I like that he covers witches. I yeah. liked the broom festival. I looked that up to see if there was anything mm-hmm. legit about that. What's funny is that the only thing that pulled up for me at least is probably because I'm using Google America, but uh, the one, the only thing that showed up for the broom festival is a broom festival in, in Illinois, which is super interesting because yeah. he's from Illinois. Okay, so I'm okay. like, oh, did he try and tie that into this? Or is mm-hmm. this something that happened after the fact, after hmm. he wrote Halloween Tree? Yeah. I do not know. Couldn't find anything. I did look, but I couldn't find anything. Um, there were uh, There was another thing that he said. He mentions ghosts. And he mentions more than once that ghosts are memories that ghosts are just memories. Mm-hmm. There were multiple parts, you know, how I mentioned he takes the magic out of witchcraft, but he yeah. also took the magic out of out of pa- the paranormal right. and ghosts because yeah. he just says that they're just memories that haunt us. I thought it was an interesting point of view. Mm-hmm. I thought that was super interesting. I just still don't like it. Because <laughs> he removes the magic from everything. He it's does, like it's not yeah. that I solely believe these things. It's just that I want to. Especially let around me. Halloween. Like, yeah, let's and embrace kid. the magic and kid. of it. Yeah. True. That's a um, good point. Going back to the witches though, mm-hmm. did you like catch the part about animal sacrifice? No. They're legit. Okay, so I maybe interpreted this oh, wrong. Oh, boy. Okay. But there is a period where they're talking about Samhain, the mm-hmm. the Druid god of death, um, in, which also confused me because I did think Samhain was a god at all. Samhain is just like a Celtic New Year. It's like a pagan right. holiday. I, I was confused yeah. by that as well. So I was confused by that. Um, but, you know, again, in this world, that's fine. Um, but there was... There were the the druid priests that were out in the forest that ends mm-hmm. up getting demolished. Mm-hmm. They were performing animal sacrifice. Hmm. They were out there during their little spiel. They, you know, uh, Ray Bradbury describes them out in the middle of the forest. These druid priests, and they're praying to Sawan, so Sawan will stop. Um, what is he doing? Someone's like, I don't know. he's yelling sins. You're going to pay for your sins. But he's unleashing like bugs and stuff like that in the field. Like I was so confused by that part. Um, but they, the Druid priests are out there in the forest trying to get him to stop. So they're out there praying to Samhain and they're doing like animal freaking sacrifice. And I, I was shocked. That- I was like, I don't remember that at all as a kid. I, yeah, yeah, I think that that is accurate. I think they even, I think, I don't want to, I don't want to say the wrong thing, but I think (laughs) the Druids even possibly committed ritualized human sacrifice as well as animal sacrifice. No, like in, in uh, history. Oh, in general. In yeah, history. in general. Yeah, 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 so I think yeah, it's yeah, yeah, accurate, yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah, surprised in a children's book. But you know what? This It contains themes of death and dying and haunting and fear and all of that. So I, I guess it, why yeah. not throw, throw it in there? But um, I, I think I, di- I, I didn't get from it like, oh, I love now learning about how all of these ancient... Mm-mm. 
rituals impacted Halloween. What I did love was a book tackling the idea of fear of death and ghosts and haunts and these boys' relationship to each other and the relationship to Pipkin, who's possibly dying. Like, that part did kind of stick with me. Um, Learning about death practices for different cultures has always been really interesting to me, though. When my dad was dying, I kept throwing out random facts about like, well, what this culture does is da 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 and what this culture does for a funeral is this. And my aunt finally turned to me and was like, where are you getting this from? And I was like, oh, <laughs> just my brain, sorry. <laughs> like, I'm just over-intellectualizing this situation because I don't know how to respond emotionally. Yeah. But I took an anthropology class in college. I wanted to be an anthropology major, but since our college didn't have an anthropology major, I'd have to be a minor, I decided against it. But... um. I took an anthropology class where we studied death and burial practices across many Native American cultures. And there was one that we learned about that it really stuck with me. So skip ahead a few minutes if you get queasy from this kind of stuff. But um, this one, it like haunted me is apparently there was a culture. I don't remember if it was Powhatan or which... um, tribe of Native Americans practice this very anciently, like not current, but um, they built large structures, um, like made out of trees, would they make a plank that's raised and lay bodies on the plank and let it kind of naturally do its thing and decompose. And then before they bury the bones only, not the flesh and all the other stuff. They had a holy person who specifically grew their nails out so that they can go and scrape the bones for whatever was left. So that all they were doing was burying the bones. That that was the practice is in the time that it takes for that body to basically decompose your mourning and then you bury the bones only. But there wasn't this spiritual person whose job it was to have long fingernails and like scrape them. It's so bad. Why wasn't that in scary stories to tell in the dark? <laughs> I'm telling you, reality, the reality of some of this stuff is so much more horrifying yeah. than any of the, like, quote-unquote well, it's horror. Like, it's like Vlad the Impaler. Mm-hmm. When I learned the real yes. history of his style of torture. Where and he how he died? bodies on needles. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah, his yeah. death was weird. His too. death he, like, was fled very the weird. castle, and yeah, he was like poisoned, and that didn't work. And then I think he had spikes, like um, spears thrown through him, and that didn't work. And then he fell in the river, and then I think he survived. It was wild. It yeah. was wild. Yeah, his death yeah. was wild. Yeah. Anyways, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's dark, man. It's it is dark. We we almost ended up doing a podcast. Our first idea was like dark history scary Mm -hmm. stories horror type stuff and we were like ah we'll switch gears but you'll hear a lot of that here yeah apparently we'll cover (laughs) enough of it 
So uh, if we were to have some sort of bingo card for our podcast and you mark off every time you hear something common, some sort of <laughs> horror or witch's content is going to come up probably every episode. But also, I loved how at the beginning of this, there's a quote that I wrote down, which is, it was a small town by a small river and a small lake in a small northern part of a Midwest state. There wasn't so much wilderness around you couldn't see the town, but on the other hand, there wasn't so much town you couldn't see and feel and touch the smell of wilderness. And that, like any town USA, it could be yeah. anywhere. It could be big. It could be small. It could be near a river. could be near a lake. It could be near the mountains. That, like anywhere town USA concept is showing up in so many of these books so that kids can truly relate. I feel yes. like as an adult, everything gets so much more, I don't know the word for it, specific where it's like you are connecting to this very yeah. specific thing. And I think in childhood, the goal is to be as general and like this could be you as possible, like help kids kind of put themselves in that. The net is casted a little wider, yeah, you know, a little broader. And like help them yeah. tap in because it's a harder skill that you gain over time is being able to really empathize and feel for a character. So they're really making it kind of general. Like there wasn't much description about – and although they were all boys, but there still wasn't even much description about the boys. They were just boys. Like, they were just yeah. kids. They, they talk about the costumes, and that's about it um, in terms of descriptions of the boys. They just mm -hmm. are sure to signify the costumes. I did notice, though, at the end of the book, when the boys are returning back home, they talk about how they're, they're flying in the sky, basically, and they're going over... Uh, different from one part of time to current day. They're going from Mexico to current day. Yeah. And they mention flying over Illinois. Ah. It says you flew over Illinois and now you're home. And it was like, I mean, I retained that because I did look up that he was from Illinois. And I was yeah. just like, no. But I mean, when, as a kid, I did imagine it happening in New England. But right. I imagined everything happening yeah. in New England because I was in New England. <laughs> and it's just creepy as hell. And it's Anything a creepy place. There. So, yeah. I felt like there were a lot of hidden gems in this book. We've previously mentioned on the pod that our society doesn't talk about death. Yeah. And this book provides lots of that, different, mm -hmm. very, you know, many different ways to look at death um, and lots of different ways that death is celebrated. Yeah. So I definitely appreciate that. And the I think ritual does... around it. I think when you are grieving, rituals provide such a comfort because you don't know what to do with yourself. Like mm -hmm. you just don't, you just don't know. You And your mental faculties aren't there. I... I have been on short-term disability leave after my dad died because I'm just mentally not there. Like you are yeah. your your brain is it contains only such capacity and when it's full of grief there's no room mm -hmm. for anything else. So having these rituals that are you do this and then you do this and then you do this, even the rituals of we're going to put the bodies up on the stand and then when it's ready we'll bury the bones like having right. these time-based kind of role-based rituals around death and dying and grieving is so helpful because otherwise it's too confusing too painful you don't know what to do you don't know who's doing what it's 
Yeah. So I think a lot of the that ritualization comes from trying to make sense of death and dying, but also providing that kind of structure and uh, like ritual ritualized roles around it. Yeah. It it does also mention the kids have this realization. Uh, I think it's like the very first place they go to when they get to Egypt and they're like, why didn't we ever think of this? Like, mm-hmm. that's a great celebration. Like, why yeah. don't we do that? And it, it kind of leaves you with the feeling or at least left me with the feeling of like, yeah, we don't have any real yeah. Halloween celebration. Mm-hmm. Um which we've mentioned our previous professor, Dr. Jarvie, and I had made a pact with him when we were in, you know, in college, I made a pact with him that I wouldn't let Halloween die. So he, every class, if you were in a class with him and it happened to be Halloween, he would request, you, you got extra credit if you dressed up. <laughs> um, but there was extra pressure for me because I had made this pact with him, you know, mm-hmm. that we'd never let Halloween die. Um, and so I've taken that seriously. And that's why we decorate the house and we do it hardcore for the kids because mm-hmm. um, I want I want it to stay alive. Yeah. Um, well, and you and I had talked about starting this year doing kind of a mm-hmm. Day of the Dead celebration the day after Halloween where it's yep. like, let's get past the commercialized, like exactly. giving kids candy stuff and then spend a day to reflect on the true meaning, which is kind of what he was getting out of, like remembering those that have passed and finding ways to keep them alive. Exactly. And I, I just love that really, I mean, he leaves a lot to interpretation. So I can only speak for the way that I interpreted the book, but um you know, the whole time we mentioned the whole time, the friends are wondering if Pip is alive or dead. Yeah. And I really, when you get to the end of the book and you reflect back on it, you find that it really doesn't matter if Pip is alive or dead because he was everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere they went, Pip was there. Um, oh, yeah, that's good. I didn't think about and, that. And so it kind of gets you this idea of death of it. it's not... It also said at a certain point of the book that death is not uh, an ending. It Mm -hmm. is another beginning. Mm -hmm. And so then you get that feel of like, oh, well, they're always here. They're just They like become a part of everything. Yes. Yes. And apparently time's all happening at once anyways. We're just experiencing it linearly. So it would make sense that if he's going back to quote unquote everything or source or Mm -hmm. whatever – is after this that he would be a part of history too. And at the end, when you find out that Mr. Mound Shroud is death, um, he also like breaks it to the boys that, you know, it's not just Pip, like right, you know, through the whole book, you're worried about Pip being dead. And Mr. Mound Shroud. Yeah, he basically says like, I'm going to get all of you. But he also talks about a time when he himself will die. So the boys ask, will there ever be a time where people no longer fear the night and no longer fear death? Yeah. And he, you know, death, Mr. Mountshroud responds, when you reach the stars, when you reach the stars, boy, yes, and live there forever, all the fears will go and death himself will die. And I was just like, what? Yeah, I wrote um, that one down too. That that was really impactful because it's like, yeah, once you get there, like once you're on the other side, you won't fear it. But until you're there, 
it's always yeah. coming for you. Um, and then speaking of mound shroud, just because I haven't mentioned it, um, I looked up what his name meant. Yeah. Because I was like, you know me with names I can't pronounce. Yes. And having to read them. Like, I I boycott it. And I was like, no, how do you pronounce this? And what does it mean? (laughs) And so, uh, basically, the mound portion of Mound Shroud was in reference to a grave mound. Okay. So, the mound that you would put, you know, as you're burying a body. Mm -hmm. And then Shroud, it usually refers to, like, the direct definition refers to an item such as a cloth that covers or protects another object. So the way mm. I interpreted mound shroud would be something that's covering or protecting a grave. Oh, which is the reaper. Exactly. Okay. And then um, I read on Reddit, there was, I think it was Reddit. Mm, it might have just been Google. <laughs> But <laughs> I don't want to give, you know, Reddit too much credit. Um, but somewhere on the internet, they were diving in, like, dissecting his name. Mm-hmm. And I guess his name is, like, Carapace Clavicle yes. Mound Shroud. Yes. Um, and so Clavicle was bone. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't get into Carapace. I don't know what that one is. But yeah, he had super a wild eerie, name. Yeah. Hidden hidden, you know, meanings uh-huh. that you just go, you know, brush over. But thought that was cool. Yeah. I did love this um story as a kid. Again, I think that stems from the cartoon, but I it I carried this with me forever. I think it is a great story that covers, you know, all different cultures, all different points in time. Um, so I think that's amazing. You don't really see a lot of that in today. Mm-hmm. You know, today it's like we're so focused on being accepting and open about different cultures and being diverse, but you don't actually see anybody trying to make content that is appealing to us, the diverse population. You know what I mean? I don't know. Does that make sense? Well, I think it's part of that. I was saying everything becomes so specific when you're an adult. Like you have to seek it out. It's less general and everything is such a like subgenre, subgenre, subgenre because there's something for everyone, but it's all uh, disparate, you know? So I do have one question though. Um, I mentioned, and we talked about a little bit, how every character, like each costume, had a point in time in the book that it covered, mm-hmm. right? So it was like, we had the witches, we had the ghosts, we had the gargoyle at Notre Dame, we had, I don't even remember, caveman, the ape man, and we had, I don't know, all of them. What was the beggars? That seems like an oversight. I'm sure it's in there. We just don't remember. I mean, a lot of what you talked about, I don't even remember. So <laughs> that uh, that tells you what you d- stuck just, with me. But I, I did know. read somewhere that his writing style is more about a vibe. Like he wants to set a tone and a feeling versus like you truly taking in every single event. And that I did get from this. So Yes. I also read that this was another story that he wrote um, 
and I say another story because we mentioned this with Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, that series was written to be told out loud. Yes. To be told in like a storytelling setting. Mm-hmm. And I did read that so was the Halloween tree. That okay. he that did makes sense. write it with intention of like parents reading this yeah. to their kids. And, and adding additional context and answering questions along the way. That makes more sense to me. Yeah. And I did read on I did read that on Reddit that um, parents are reading this to their kids and their kids are loving it. Okay. So maybe with it, you know, and I told you the only way I really got through it was with imagining it, it being mm-hmm. narrated. Yeah. So maybe that does help. Yeah, that's kind of the same. Yeah, the same concept yeah. there. Um, well, mm-hmm. I'm excited to watch the movie. I think that that'll really bring it home for me. Um, I, I agree. I think it would be better read aloud and as kind of a communal experience. Um, but I'm glad that I've now read it and understand the references and know (laughs) what the Halloween tree is in Disney because I would not have a couple months ago. Yeah. I would have walked right past it and like, oh, cool tree. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it's weird though that like Ray Bradbury got the Halloween tree placed at Disneyland just because he was a Disney fan. Not like many what? people are like Disney what? approved. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Well, I would argue that Disney isn't necessarily approved by a lot of people now. Yeah, I know true. my sister like hates Disney. Like she's boycotted it completely. She has reasons. I'm sure hmm. they're valid to her. Yeah. I don't know what they are. <laughs> I'm not yeah. trying to ruin everything in my life. I know, oh, right? Jeez, jeez, we already ruined, fun. we already ruined Roald Dahl. So <laughs> death is coming for us, <laughs> all of us. Let us enjoy Disneyland. Gosh. <laughs> so, anyways, well, that's all I had for Halloween tree. Um, Let's wrap it up. Yeah. Okay. So, well, we do try to end always with a cringe story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Monica and I are running out of stories. I've told you <laughs> everything embarrassing that I got, you guys, except for my most embarrassing story. And I, you couldn't pay me to tell that oh, story. No. So okay. there's, a re- there's a reason why some stories are just embarrassing. Yeah. You know, like yes. most embarrassing thing that ever happened to you, you don't just go flaunt that. <laughs> Anyways. You got to become my friend first, you guys. We got to start a podcast first, then I'll tell you. (laughs) Um, Anyways, cringe story for this week. I asked Blaine, my husband, because I was like, do you have anything from the 90s that you remember that was, doesn't even have to be cringe. Just do you have anything that was influential? Um, And I was asking him, like, think of toys. What was your favorite toy from the 90s? You couldn't think of anything. And then he starts telling me, well, I guess, you know, I, I was obsessed with the Power Rangers. And I said, oh, well, what was your favorite Power Ranger? And he said, the red one. And I said, oh, okay. And he said, but like, I wanted to change my name <laughs> because I loved the Red Ranger so much. And so, but hold on. This is how much I. Yeah, this is how much. So I guess he had told his family not to call him Blaine anymore. Call me Jason because that was the Red Ranger. Um, Which his his real first Blaine's his middle name. His real first name starts with a J anyway. So I feel like it's not that far off. He probably identified with it, but was like, but now I'm Jason. Now I'm Jason. (laughs) 
I have that other J name, but screw it. <laughs> Jason. <laughs> All because of the Power Rangers, which was wow. funny. It did it did bring back memories. I've always hated Amy. I've always really? hated that as a name. I felt like it was, I oh still kind of feel like it it's a childish so name. Sad. That makes me so sad when people don't like their names. My mom said she doesn't so, really like her name either. And really? that just makes me, I love my name. So that makes me really yeah. sad. Lily told me well, the other day she didn't like my name and why did I name her that? And I almost cried. <gasps> oh. Josh talked to her I about it. I definitely said that to my mom at some point. Josh talked to her about it and she changed her mind and said that she liked it. So I think it was just like a random four-year-old thought, but it was so sad. It was so sad because I feel like she picked her name because we had such a hard time picking a name. We thought we were going to have a boy. We wanted to have a boy. All we could think of was boy names. And so I'm like, of course, we're going to get a girl. The day that we found out it was a girl, uh, we, we were taking a walk through my mom's neighborhood and a little girl had made some art and like wrote her name big on it, Lily, L-I-L-Y. Uh-huh. And I was like, that, that is her name. It just like stuck with me. Yeah. I felt like she was showing me, like she picked it out and was like, this is who I am. So then for her to be like, why'd you name me that? I was like, oh my God. No. no. Well, I I always hated my name as a kid. I just felt like it was a childish name. I'm lucky now that people, you know, you were mentioning you have lots of nicknames. I do too. Yeah. So people call me like Ames. They call me by my maiden name a lot of the time. Yeah. So like I'm used to that. That mm-hmm. it'll just be my old maiden last name. Um. So I'm used to that. But when I was a kid, thank God this never happened like thank god my parents didn't listen to me and change my name to what I wanted it to be because I wanted to be like a Heather or a Jessica or a Vanessa very because I felt like I felt like they were like cool girl names yeah like sophisticated and like I don't know I always felt like Amy was just like elementary oh which is weird but I have another girlfriend um we we have a mutual friend you and I Gordon his Mm -hmm fiance mentioned though to me that her chosen name as a kid what she wanted her name to be was amy really and i was like oh okay well i guess that makes me feel a little better but but no no i hated mine apparently my dad wanted to name me sabrina which i would have loved like sabrina the teenage witch and you don't hear sabrina that often same with monica you don't hear it that often Mm -mm. so i would have been fine with that so if i had to change it it would probably be that because that was what my dad wanted but somehow monica won out (laughs) um well my brother also had a name that he decided would be his and wanted to change his name to which was charlie charlie (laughs) what (laughs) so from austin his real name is yeah i was gonna say are we gonna say it yeah Yeah. austin's way better than charlie yeah yeah shout out to your mom yeah (laughs) good choice way better (laughs) yeah so it must be a common thing i think it's just part of the identity crisis that happens as you're growing up is like i'm gonna be who i want to be and changing your name is just one of those things but I mean, Josh, my husband's name is Joshua, and he decided to go by Josh. And when I started dating him, I started calling him Joshua because I thought, like, oh, cool, I'll be the only one who calls him that. And he was like, no, don't ever call Stop me Stop it. No. <laughs> and I brought it up recently, and he was like, I don't remember saying that. I'm fine with Joshua. And I was like, no, <laughs> you absolutely told me not to call you that. Don't say that now. My <laughs> uncle, his whole life was Keith, and maybe... 
five, six years ago, he decided he was going to be Paul and switched oh. everything over. All all of his acquaintances, all of his friends call him Paul. Only his oh. family calls him Keith. Interesting. As an adult. Weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but so it like we said on a previous podcast, people are ever changing. They're unique. Yes. You're allowed yes. to change your mind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I think in his case, it was like he was going by a middle name and he decided to go by his first name. It was one of those. It wasn't like he randomly picked oh, it out. Oh, okay. Space. That makes more sense. But when you first yeah. said it, I was like, what crime did he commit? That- <laughs> We know someone who did that. We know someone who did. They committed a crime and started going by a different name. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That's, 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 <laughs> we don't know anything, actually. We don't know anything. No. Nobody's um, committed no. any crimes in our Apparent, lives. Apparent, this allegedly. A, allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> allegedly that happened. So. <laughs> and that whole story about you know the coloring contest of my sister that was all allegedly uh, everything, too right? everything we say is alleged you don't know if you can believe anything that comes out of our we mouths. need to put a we need to put a new a disclaimer. disclaimer yeah <laughs> allegedly all events are alleged <laughs> oh gosh yeah oh, well if you would like to submit your alleged 90s yeah. <laughs> Send them over to us on any of our socials or email them at 90skidbookclub at gmail.com. You can also um, follow any of our content on TikTok, Instagram, threads. Please subscribe to our podcast on any of your favorite podcast apps and rate and review it. That'll help us be found by others. Also provides any feedback to us as we're growing and learning and changing. And we also have a Patreon. So if you'd like to join that for additional bonus content, we review any of the film or TV adaptations from the books that we cover. So the Halloween tree will have to be on Patreon. So I think that's it for the week. Rest up, Amy. I hope you feel better. I hope Blaine feels better. And I guess we'll see you you. next Tuesday. And TTYL. Goodbye. Bye.